0: Hey, I'm Christopher Schiefling. Thank you so much for joining me for Oscultation, a podcast in search of a humanities-based practice of healthcare. Today, we're listening to excerpts from the short story, Iron Routine, by Zitkila Shah, a writer, musician, orator, and activist who grew up on the Yankton Indian Reservation in South Dakota and spent many years at a Quaker boarding school for Native American children in Indiana. Iron Routine is a story about taking attendance at the boarding school, and appears in her collection of stories, American Indian Stories. Excerpts from Iron Routine by Zitkala Shah a pale-faced woman with a yellow-covered roll-book open on her arm and a nod pencil in her hand appeared at the door. Her small, tired face was coldly lighted with a pair of large gray eyes. She stood still in a halo of authority while over the rim of her spectacles, her eyes pried nervously about the room. Having glanced at her long list of names and called out the first one, she tossed up her chin and peered through the crystals of her spectacles to make sure of the answer. Here! Relentlessly, her pencil black marked our daily records if we were not present to respond to our names, and no chum of ours had done it successfully for us. No matter if a dull headache or the painful cough of slow consumption, had delayed the absentee, there was only time enough to mark the tardiness. It was next to impossible to leave the iron routine after the civilizing machine had once begun its days buzzing. And as it was inbred in me to suffer in silence, rather than appeal to the ears of one whose open eyes could not see my pain, I have many times trudged in the day's harness, heavy-footed, like a dumb, sick brute. Once, I lost a dear classmate. I remember well how she used to mope along at my side, until one morning she could not raise her head from her pillow. At her deathbed, I stood weeping as the pale-faced woman sat near her, moistening the dry lips. Among the folds of the bedclothes I saw the open pages of the white man's Bible. The dying Indian girl talked disconnectedly of Jesus the Christ and the pale face who was cooling her swollen hands and feet. I grew bitter and censored the woman for her cruel neglect of our physical ills. I despised the pencils that moved automatically and the one teaspoon which dealt out from a large bottle, healing, to a row of variously ailing Indian children. I blame the hard-working, well-meaning, ignorant woman who was inculcating in our hearts her superstitious ideas. Some thoughts on healthcare in the boarding school. The story critiques the health care in the boarding school. First, we see the cruel indifference of the iron routine, which trains the students to suffer in silence. In this system, there is no difference between the minor, dull headache and the more ominous, painful cough of slow consumption, which in those days would be recognized as a fatal sign of tuberculosis. Apparently, as long as the students can mope along, there's only time enough to mark the tardiness, and no time for sympathy or comfort, even if you're slowly dying. Based on treaties with Native American tribes, the U.S. government, in exchange for forcing the tribes from their homelands, was supposed to provide health care, including doctors, for these boarding schools. As an aside, it is an attempt to fulfill these treaty obligations, that the government funds the Indian Health Service, or IHS. Nevertheless, during the late 1800s, doctors were rarely present in these schools, and the health conditions were very poor, with a large number of children dying of infectious diseases like tuberculosis, malaria, and cholera. Moreover, by using the metaphor of the civilizing machine her criticism expands to industrial society at large, where factory workers received similar mistreatment. And in fact, a goal of many of these boarding schools was to train students for manual labor that was fueling the young nation's rise as an industrial power. When treatment is provided to the students, it is equally indiscriminate. She describes her anger towards the one teaspoon, which dealt out from a large bottle healing to a row of variously ailing Indian children. In this single sentence, Zitkala Shah conjures up the image of an assembly line where a row of children are dealt out identical treatment from a large bottle. Again, we see medical care as an industrial endeavor, and calling such treatment healing oozes with irony. First, the same treatment for variously ailing children clearly won't help most of them, if it helps any of them. And second, the use of a single spoon will only spread their different infections amongst themselves. This system fails to recognize the individual nature of the children and their distinct illnesses. While certainly our prescriptions these days are more tailored, our 20-minute primary care appointments checkbox-laden electronic medical records, and nail-biting over productivity and RVUs are no less industrial. It appears that only when a student is literally on her deathbed is there time for care. Here we see the woman comforting the dying child's dry mouth and swelling. However, in the very next line, the narrator denounces her for cruel neglect of our physical ills. I did a double-take the first time I read this. How is she neglecting their physical ills when we just saw her being so attentive to the child's end-of-life symptoms? One interpretation is that Zitkala Shah is calling out how disingenuous it is to use compassionate end-of-life care to whitewash a paucity or absence of treatment before this. That is to say, wonderful hospice care does not alleviate the distrust from a lifetime of mistreatment by the healthcare system. For many patients who have received suboptimal care due to bias, lack of insurance, or other barriers, the offer of hospice can be hard to swallow. Hospice provides free access to comfort-focused care through an interdisciplinary team of nurses, social workers, chaplains, and clinicians. Many patients rightfully ask. Why do I need to be dying before you can give me the level of health care I always needed and deserved? This episode is brought to you by Sunlight. Give strength to your bones, Z's to your sleep, and serotonin to your synapses with Sunlight. A healthy dose of Sunlight is free, natural, and just outside your front door. So what are you waiting for? Go on. Get some of that star power. Some thoughts on antagonists and authority. In most stories, it is all too easy to identify with the protagonists and vilify their adversaries. One of the many brilliant things Zikala Shah does in her writing is how she nudges her readers into recognizing themselves in her antagonists. The approachability of these characters is likely one of the reasons her sharp criticism of white, Christian, industrial, and capitalist society achieved such success with a mainly white audience. Many of the narratives in American Indian stories were first published in journals like The Atlantic and Harper's Magazine. In this story, the unnamed, pale-faced woman is a complex character who resists the simple stereotypes of a tyrannical teacher. The narrator describes her as relentless, with cold and unseeing eyes, and blames her for cruel neglect. At the same time, the narrator acknowledges that she is well-meaning and shows her comforting a dying child. Similarly, there is an opening for sympathy when we see that the civilizing machine also wears on the woman, albeit to a lesser degree than on the children. She has a tired face, and the narrator emphasizes her anxiety several times. First, during roll call, and I quote, her eyes pry nervously about the room. Moreover, she seems to remain at the door during this routine because its backlighting gives her the, and I quote, halo of authority. Ironically, though, this habit of standing at the door suggests that she is anxiously clinging to the sense of security of having the exit close by. Finally, there is the poetry of her Nod pencil. This image encapsulates her struggle with the system. It is easy to see the pencil that moved automatically as a metaphor for industrial society. With this in mind, her Nod pencil paints a picture of an anxious woman unconsciously biting against the iron routine. The strength and nuance of this image of the woman with her satirical halo and pathetic pencil becomes more impressive every time I read it, and all of Zika shahs prose is this poetic. By presenting the woman's struggles alongside her flaws, Zika shah makes it easier for me to recognize my own misguidance through her example. And the complexity of her character pushes me to reflect on when I too have been hardworking, well meaning, and ignorant, when my open eyes did not see another's pain, and when I only nibbled at systems that warranted radical changes. This critique of the 1880s educational system is surprisingly applicable to healthcare in the U.S. today. Both systems profess to strive to improve the lives of minority populations, become well short of this goal, in part due to the rigidity and short-sightedness of industrial values. Zikala Shah, with her stinging irony and captivating prose, pushes readers to challenge the assumptions of Western medicine and draws readers in to the sufferings and strengths of Native American communities. She ends the iron routine with this reflection. These sad memories rise above those of smoothly grinding school days. Perhaps my Indian nature is the moaning wind which stirs them now for their present record. But however tempestuous this is within me, it comes out as the low voice of a curious colored seashell, which is only for those ears that are bent with compassion to hear it. I love this metaphor of the seashell. Her wit and poetry certainly are a curiously colored seashell that will catch most readers' eyes, enticing them into picking up the shell and listening to her Indian nature. So I encourage you to bend your ears with compassion to the rest of the American Indian stories. I assure you, you're in for a real treat. Excerpts from Iron Routine by Zitkala-Sa A pale-faced woman with a yellow-covered roll book open on her arm and a nod pencil in her hand appeared at the door. Her small, tired face was coldly lighted with a pair of large gray eyes. She stood still in a halo of authority while over the rim of her spectacles her eyes pried nervously about the room. Having glanced at her long list of names and called out the first one, she tossed up her chin and peered through the crystals of her spectacles to make sure of the answer. Here! Relentlessly, her pencil black marked our daily records if we were not present to respond to our names, and no chum of ours had done it successfully for us. No matter if a dull headache or the painful cough of slow consumption had delayed the absentee, there was only time enough to mark the tardiness. It was next to impossible to leave the iron routine after the civilizing machine had once begun its days buzzing. And as it was inbred in me to suffer in silence rather than appeal to the ears of one whose open eyes could not see my pain. I have many times trudged in the day's harness, heavy-footed, like a dumb, sick brute. Once, I lost a dear classmate. I remember well how she used to mope along at my side, until one morning she could not raise her head from her pillow. At her deathbed, I stood weeping as the pale-faced woman sat near her, "'moistening the dry lips. "'Among the folds of the bedclothes "'I saw the open pages of the white man's Bible. "'The dying Indian girl talked disconnectedly "'of Jesus the Christ and the pale face, "'who was cooling her swollen hands and feet. "'I grew bitter and censored the woman "'for her cruel neglect of our physical ills. "'I despised the pencils that moved automatically.' and the one teaspoon which dealt out from a large bottle, healing, to a row of variously ailing Indian children. I blame the hard-working, well-meaning, ignorant woman who was inculcating in our hearts her superstitious ideas. Iron Routine by Zeke Shah was published in her collection, American Indian Stories, in 1921, and is now part of Public Domain. Auscultation is produced and recorded on the ancestral homes of the Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho peoples. You can find show notes for this episode at anauscultation.wordpress.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, follow, or share to help others find out about us too. Until next month, be kind and live the questions.